So I think that's your answer instead of the cop. <laughs> wow, you really put me on the spot there. <laughs> hey everyone, I'm Uswa. And I'm Yasmin. Welcome to Inner Work, Ally Squared's official podcast where we learn about how to practice allyship better. Today, we're going to be talking about identity. So, Yasmin, do you want to go to our, like, picture-perfect definition of what identity is? Yes. So, identities can be intersectional, seeing someone as a whole made of individual interconnected parts. So there's, there's different identities, of course, and in the popular discourse these days, people use their identities as a sense of self, as a way for us to understand the privileges we have. And for me, I feel like identities always changed as I, I grew up. I feel like when I first moved to Canada, when I was nine, um, identity was very much a concept that I feel like I lost because, I mean, I moved to a whole different part of the world and I left a lot of people who made my identity what it is. But now I feel like identity is something that I very much strongly asserted for myself. But I mean, I feel like identity is also something these days that can be incredibly challenged. There's that like internal component how we feel how we assert ourselves then there's that external how other people see us and the identities they presuppose onto us i think for me identity has always been a really weird thing that i've always tried to figure out because my mom is her family is scottish and then my dad's family is pakistani so I've just never, it's like my whole life trying to figure out what my identity is and who I fit in more with. I think it definitely changes as you get older. I feel a lot more myself, I guess, than I did when I was younger. Did you feel like your identity also changed in those formative years based on whether you were at your dad's house or your mom's house? Oh, for sure. Like if I was at my mom's house, I didn't as much talk about the you know brown side Mm -hmm. and then if I was at my dad's house my dad has always been a little more cultural and my grandmother has always lived with us so I always she's obviously very cultural I've always had that in my life but I never knew how to blend the two together until I got older yeah for sure and I feel like you know you mentioned your grandmother like our elders are such a big part of how we assert our identities. And it's, I feel like for me, so my grandmother passed about two years after we moved here. So I didn't really get to know her, you know, in those last two years. Um, But I did have her living with me when I grew up. And I feel like just like the fact that she cooked so much and she's so culturally diverse in terms of food that she made, even when we were in Pakistan, which is something that most people don't presume And the ways that she had traveled when she was younger, that was all such a big part of her identity. And she was also a big matriarch. So she was the one that was essentially the glue of our family. And when she passed away, I definitely noticed that like fragmentation of our family. And it's such a core tenet of identity in that when you identify someone as that, you know, core glue in your, whether that be a friendship, whether that be like colleagues in a workplace, losing that person can also kind of remove yourself from that identity to that person's for example is my family you know not just the 
you know, displacement when we came to Canada, but also losing someone who's such a core part of our family identity definitely affected the ways that we saw ourselves. Yeah, I agree. I've actually never thought about it that way, but I feel like especially when you lose someone that you're very close to, it does kind of shape the way that you see yourself. Like you almost see yourself now as someone that's lost someone. That becomes a part of your your mm-hmm. own identity too. And yeah, your whole entire family dynamic or friend dynamic or just your life in general changes and it changes the identities of the people's uh, people around you of yourself yeah for sure I agree and I mean in that you like you said you've got that inward identity and that outward identity and for me when I first moved here and I mean I did a TEDx talk about this which essentially sparked why Ally Squared was really created was for so long when I moved here all of the microaggression the discrimination because of my identity so I had a really thick accent and I dressed very differently than you know my classmates in grade five and six and all of that like those constant retellings through microaggression of the fact that my identity was not normal here what did not belong here was um, weird or intimidating to certain people shaped who I was in relation to society so my identity almost created this complex I had in my head about you know I need to be a certain cookie cutter image of any air quotes here Canadian because the identities that I grew up with weren't palatable in this kind of culture and so the long-term effects of how we see our inward identity and how our identity is told towards us in terms of outward identity are so interrelated because of how much especially when you're growing up and you're a teenager and you care about what other people say so much affects how you see yourself. I always find it interesting when I talk to people who have immigrated here, especially people from the South Asian community, because I ha- I work with a lot of people who are part of the South Asian community, and they always talk about wanting to prove themselves almost as being that cookie cutter image of what a Canadian should be. And it always almost makes me laugh because I spent my whole life trying to prove that I could fit into the South Asian mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not too Canadian and I, I am still, you know, quote unquote cultured because I, I mean, I look, I look white and my family has always made comments about that. And mm-hmm. sometimes people don't believe me or they try and test me when I say that I'm <laughs> those are always you know? so funny because it's like where's this test written out on like is oh, there yeah. a website is there a code of tests oh. like what does that even mean well it's always the test of languages is what <laughs> I get I always get the test of languages um it's always the oh you're half Pakistani so let me speak to you in Urdu just to validate and that. let's see do you really know what I'm saying but then I also meet so many, you know, South Asian people who are from those countries and they don't know the yeah. language because they've just tried to fit in. So it just, it's different for everyone. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, when we talk about identity as a macro concept in society, like there's so much that we could, I mean, 30 minutes or 40 minutes is never enough to talk about these things. But I feel like identity is such a big component and we're so hyper aware of it these days that 
a lot of the conversations we have, especially in spaces that are more progressive and more um, ally focused, are so much of one identifying our identity. So this is how I choose to identify myself. This component of my identity is the most important to me. Um, and then this is how, in accordance with that, I would like you to treat me, which I really appreciate because now it's no longer that cookie cutter that, you know, I grew up with and my parents experienced when they immigrated. It's now understanding that identities are different and that there doesn't need to be like a monotone or like a uniform society. And so when we talk about discrimination based on identity, despite the fact that we have a lot of this awareness, do you feel like discrimination is still as prevalent as it was maybe during our parents' time? Or do you feel like we're just more aware of it now? I would say we are definitely more aware, but I think that the discrimination is almost a little bit different and more focused on different people because people are so much more open with their identity factors. Mm -hmm. We have a lot more intersectional identities, I feel like. Not that they didn't exist before, Mm -hmm. because they did. But I think people just didn't talk about it as much. Like when we think about the LGBTQ plus community, people are, are, as they should be, so much more open with their identities now. But if I talk to my parents about how it was when they were our age or teenagers it wasn't it just was never the same but I feel like there's a lot more I guess awareness and a lot more availability to be discriminated against because people are so open with their identities Hmm. I feel like it makes them almost more, not that I think that they shouldn't be open with their identities, because I think we all should be, but I just think people are sometimes more discriminated against than they were before. I actually feel like there was a tolerance to just accept the discrimination that you're facing back mm-hmm. then. Like you said, there's still that intersectionality and there's still so much discrimination. Sometimes, like, I mean, we think about historical examples of discrimination that are so macro i mean like the genocide of indigenous peoples just slavery just there's so many macro examples that we look at and we just think like how did that happen because we wouldn't accept that anymore and the first thing i feel like we do accept that if we talk about the uyghurs in china we talk about slavery in libya like that's still happening but i just feel like back then on a microaggression scale for example My mom, who wears a hijab, or my dad, who had a very thick Pakistani accent, would just accept those things because if they stood up for themselves, then they couldn't find work to pay for, you know, our clothes and our school and stuff like that. So they kind of had to accept those things, and they've internalized so much of it um, without actually speaking. And I I try and have those conversations with my parents, but also it's incredibly re-traumatizing to have those conversations yet now I feel like maybe this is just me or maybe this is just us but I'm I feel more inclined to speak out when people are discriminating against me when it's safe for me to do so and or talk about it later to people in safe spaces 
because I've recognized even in the moment that the discrimination of my identity is not tolerable. It's not something that I can just pretend and happen. So even if in that moment I'm not addressing it, even though I'm more likely to do so, I always talk about it later and try and unpack it and see the ways it's affected me. And we do that with Ally Squared's training as well as we talk about the ways that a small microaggression can make such a macro impact on a person's life. Yeah, absolutely. I read a book recently and it's about basically the history of hair. And I, I mean, obviously, you know, my hair is like fine and wavy, but I never realized the impact that the history of hair and the discrimination against hair, particularly against women of color, how deep rooted it was and how much just something, well, I mean, I would think it was simple. Now I don't, but mm -hmm. as quote unquote simple as your hair, how deeply it can really affect your identity and how you see yourself and how you view all of these things and all of these microaggressions that you may face. You know, we see a lot of women of color, particularly black women talking about how in the workplace people say that you're not you shouldn't have your natural hair because it doesn't look professional mm -hmm. and I feel like all of these microaggressions that people face now we talk about so much more than we used to and we unpack them so much more and we're able to see exactly how those little things really affect people on a bigger scale throughout their whole life and how they view themselves and the people around them mm -hmm. and their place in society. Yeah, it's like the presenting self and how the presenting self has implications on, you know, your inward identity. And it's, I think it's so interesting to see how those change as we progress. But another thing that I think is like, a topic that's very hot right now is identity politics. Honestly, this is something that I've heard of, I've interacted in discussions with, but I don't feel like I understand it completely. And I think that's a very interesting topic to navigate. So identity politics is essentially when politics become personal. So when it's about who you are in terms of your identity. And so there's obviously critiques of identity politics, understanding on one side that a lot of right-leaning people and again, not all of them, but a lot of right-leaning people subscribe to the idea that identity politics is the end of true democracy or true politics. And then there's um, critiques on the left that say that identity politics should not be created because people's identity should be integrated into quote-unquote normal everyday politics. And so how do you think this concept of identity politics is kind of manifesting in our lives these days? So I think an example that we had heard earlier was voting based on policy rather than identity. Yeah, identity. So for example, Kamala Harris, do you vote for her just only because she's a woman of color or because you really do like her policies? I mean, I had this question asked of me at a different you know, at a different time a couple of weeks ago. And for me, it's always, so one, your identity doesn't necessarily subscribe to your politics. So the example that I always give is that immigrants who have been in this country for 10 years or even like 
more than five years, don't usually vote for policies in support of newcomers. And so that's an understanding of like, just because you hold that migrant identity doesn't mean you necessarily support people in that classification categorization of that identity. And so like, I think for me, the first thing that I think of when we talk about identity politics is that you can't really, you can't really assume that just because someone holds certain identity that's similar to you, um, they vote in support of you. And so when it, you talk about like representation in terms of identity, something that really comes to mind for me is the fact that just because a person looks a certain way or ha- holds a certain identity doesn't mean that they um, necessarily are going to help you. And so how are you how are you looking at that? And in order to understand whether they're helping you, then you have to look at policy. So your policy comes first. But I would say that you can't always just say policy this, policy that, because I do believe that lived experiences are valid expertise. And so when you have lived experiences, you better understand something. So let's take a white woman who was going to be VP instead of Kamala Harris. And so Kamala Harris supports a lot of prison-related policy, militarization-related policy. If you compare that with someone who might not hold the same identities as her, but has policies that are more progressive, of course, like you want to vote for people whose policies are going to help with your lived experiences. Now, for me, the ideal would be someone who has lived experiences similar to you, but also has the policies to be accountable to changing, you know, the discrimination they faced or you faced. And so I feel like it's the answer, and maybe this is a cop-out, but the answer is kind of in the middle. If you had to decide between someone that looks like you and that you relate to on that level versus the policies that are going to be implemented in, you know, government, what would you be choosing? I think I choose policy. And again, like for me, there'd be that accountability to has that person ever been held accountable to implementing policies they've advocated for? So like even smaller examples, if you haven't run in an election, but you, you know, you were a manager of a workplace or you were the boss of a workplace and you promised to have change in X, Y, and you did it and your policies continue to support that work, I would vote for the policy more than the person. So I think that's your answer instead of the cop. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you really put me on the spot. (laughs) So when it comes to this, I mean, like the reason we started this podcast and the reason why we thought it was so important to do it is because, Yasmin, you and I have been best friends for six, seven years now. Mm -hmm. And we always have these discussions driving in your car or getting coffee (laughs) or just going on a drive looking at fancy houses and stuff. And we just thought that having these discussions be recorded and talking about the things we know and we don't know and the things that we navigate open and honestly would lead to better understandings of allyship. I think it's important for us to talk about how identity relates to allyship. So how do you feel like for you as a person, um, having an ally, practicing allyship, or even needing an ally has been so interactive with the concept of identity? Well, I'll be honest. I honestly never thought that much about allyship until you brought it up to me and actually talked to me about it, which was really more so when we actually formed, I mean, probably a little bit before, but closer to when we were, you know, forming Ally Squared. Um, 
that's more so when I really started thinking about allyship. And also I was going through maybe my own personal thing, trying to figure out who I was Mm -hmm. and my own identity. And I feel like identity is actually extremely important when we're talking about allyship because I don't think that you can truly be an ally to someone unless you are one respecting their identity and what they are saying their identity is and two if you unless you really understand how much identity matters to people Mm -hmm. I think the understanding of what identity is and how it affects everyone in their daily life so like these microaggressions that we were talking about even politics like how we were talking about all of these things culminate and they all matter they all mean something and you have to understand all of those things to be able to practice effective allyship in your daily life Mm -hmm. um and not you know we talk about performative versus Active. active allyship And I feel like you can say that you support someone and you can say that you uh, are an ally and you can, you know, post things on social media, but until you take the time to really understand why a person feels this way, why these things are affecting them, the history behind what makes them feel like whatever they're feeling or why they are the way that they are and why they identify the way that they do. And there doesn't always necessarily need to be a huge reason behind why. It can Mm -hmm. also just simply be, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And you need to accept it. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are parts of identity that you do need to understand why people are the way that they are. And to me, that is why it's so important. In allyship, I think like identity and allyship are so interrelational because practicing allyship feeds to the reinforcement of someone's identity and feeling like they're safe and practicing their identities. Um, And then a lack of that weakens a person's identity because they're not allowed to, you know, share that identity or practice that identity with others. Mm -hmm. And for me, I feel like identity has always been such a big question mark in my life. And it's been something that, you know, I'm a people pleaser. So I always like to change aspects of my identity or how much I practice my identities based on the room I'm in and so only recently have I gotten to the point where I feel like I'm surrounded by people who practice strong and active allyship for me and rely on me and hold me accountable to practicing responsible and active allyship to them where we can practice our identities in the spaces where we're together so in a car at a McDonald's parking lot with you, I can say whatever I want and I can feel like myself without feeling like, oh, Yasmin's going to perpetuate a microaggression against me or she's not going to understand this aspect of who I am or at least she's not going to try. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like allyship is so much, I mean, there's that friendship component, but it's also that, you know, that validation of you can be who you are mm-hmm. and there's no ifs, ands, and whats about it. Or ifs, ands, and buts about it. (laughs) Um, I hope there's no whats. Yeah. And so I think, like, understanding that in order to practice strong allyship, you have to first stop questioning the identity of someone, like you said. 
And then you also have to hold yourself responsible because allyship in itself is not an identity. It's a practice. And so understanding that in the practice of allyship, being an ally or the label of being like, I guess, an ally is not the identity that you're holding in that position. What you're holding is respect and you're holding compassion, you're holding understanding and you're holding the person as a priority in that situation. And so I think the biggest distinguishment between these concepts of like identity, which is something that you hold and who you are, and allyship, which is something you practice for someone else, is that distinction where you have to understand the difference and it can't be the same thing. Like you can't be an ally and hold an identity in that way because you aren't the person who subscribes to the label of ally. Yeah, and also I think it's important just to mention that when you're practicing allyship, it's not for you. I feel like sometimes people say I'm an ally and they almost use it as a way to make themselves feel better, Mm -hmm. like I'm doing something to help. And it's not about you, it's about the other person. So it's about creating the safe environment and like you said, being able to at least try to understand, Mm -hmm. even if you maybe have to ask a question or, you know, being open to what the other person has to say Mm -hmm. and, and listening and understanding that being an ally is not for you necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's for the other person as well. Yeah. And so in real and tangible, actionable terms, some ways that you can practice that allyship towards a person's identity are to use the correct pronouns. So like just starting from there, but also understanding that when you're practicing it, it can't be like a one and done situation. So it has to be active. And then like the other one that I think is so important is the fact that so many identities haven't been safe in dominant spaces or public spaces and so allowing those spaces for people to come together who hold similar identities and celebrate those identities so i think unless you have anything else to say we can wrap up on our reflections there yeah absolutely i think i said mine already So make sure to join us in our next episode when we actually do dive deeper into allyship and start there in our reflections of how to be better in terms of practicing allyship. So we're going to have our episodes being published every other week on Sunday. So bi-weekly on Sundays, sometimes we'll have guests when we can get them in the pandemic. It's a little harder. Uh, a big thank you to Holly, Megan, Noor, and Raina for helping us produce this podcast. We really appreciate it. And for more information please follow us on social media at ally2 squared and visit our website at ally squared.ca thank you